You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. Welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Instant Reaction Press Pass Podcast. My name is Rick Butler, joined as always to my right by Ryan Shumpert. And as usual, we are coming to you live after the game. We are sitting up here in one of the press boxes of Neyland Stadium right now, overlooking an empty stadium filled with a little bit of trash around the bleachers. Nonetheless, though, a a great sight. Man, Ryan, Tennessee gets a huge win today by a score of 66-24 to in the final game of the home slate this season. So the final game in Neyland Stadium, Tennessee pulls off a huge 66-24 win. When you think about this game, kind of where does your mind lead to first? I think it's probably the first thing is the the second half onslaught. And really, uh, Tennessee, as happened a lot of times tonight, penalties kind of derailed them on their first drive of the game, or first drive of the second half. They ended up having to punt. Uh, Missouri goes down the field, hits a long, I believe it was a 38-yard touchdown pass, a really nice Nice thrown ball by Brady Cook. Uh, and just like that, in a game where Tennessee always, even in the first half, you know, didn't play great. We'll get to all that. First half, Tennessee was in control. And then all of a sudden, early third quarter, Tennessee was up by four points. And it was like, yeah, they better answer here. And Tennessee scored on two plays. Uh, they ran the play where nobody guards Jalen Hyatt. It's been a very <laughs> productive play for him this year. It is. And that led to an onslaught. Tennessee scored the final 38 points of the game. They scored well, on their next three or their first three drives after it became a four four point game. And, and uh, the defense also, it wasn't just offense that went off after that. The defense was really, really good. I think they gave up just one first down on those next three drives, and Missouri didn't cross midfield again the rest of the game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I really agree with you. I think when you think about the first half of this game, you, you saw Tennessee obviously be able to put up 28 points, so I don't think that's nothing out of the ordinary. But allowing 17 points was a little bit... Um, was a little bit worrying. I, I think con- just considering where Missouri's offense was coming into this game, I, I think one of the ways that Missouri really found success there early in the first, maybe not early in the first half, but in the first half, was with the unpredictability of Brady Cook's legs. You know, I, I really was surprised by that and just their ability to have success in that place. Again, like you said, we know that ten- that uh, Brady Cook's two big touchdown throws were, were, were both big chunk plays, right? One being a 30-yard pass, one being about a 40-yard pass, something like that. But I felt like the unpredictability of his legs, man, really, really kind of showed up there in the first half, gave Tennessee a little bit of trouble. 100%. I mean, I think that was probably the most important thing to Missouri's success, honestly, because, oh, man, we're watching, uh, we're watching Alabama. Alabama had Ole Miss in third and 18, uh, right around the 45-yard line. The free blitzer came through and just ripped Jackson Dart's helmet off. Wow. Uh, went by the face mask. So it'll be a, instead of being an easy sack, it'll be first down for Ole Miss. A couple of crazy games in the SEC today. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but we'll maybe get to a little bit of that at the end. Sorry. That, that, <laughs> that, if, you're, if, you're, if you watch this game, you're listening to this uh, Saturday night or Sunday, and you were watching the Alabama game live, you know exactly what play I'm talking about. And it was pretty startling. Wow, he just turned his head backwards. Yeah, it looked like and Jackson Dart looked like an owl on that play. Um, uh, what, what were we talking about? Brady Cook's legs. That's what we were, we're talking, talking about, about. Brady Cook's legs. And, and Missouri's offense is neck. Missouri's offense is so limited uh, by what they could do. Just that little wrinkle in there, I felt like played a, a really big part. And now there's some of it. I think you gotta give credit uh, to Missouri's offensive staff. I think some of it was designed runs that they had success, but there was a lot of it that was scrambling as well, and it kind of kept 
Tennessee off balanced a little bit. And uh, uh, we've seen Tennessee, obviously last year, that was a major point with Tennessee's defense. They really struggled uh, against uh, quarterbacks, not even just running quarterbacks, but really against most quarterbacks running the ball against them. And Brady Cook kind of falls into that category. He's a capable runner. I think he had around 235 uh, rushing yards on the season entering this game. But he looked, Tennessee made him a lot, look a lot better with his legs than he's been yeah. the rest of the year as he ran for uh, 106 on the day. So I do think I give Tennessee credit after, uh, after that point we talked about where they cut the Missouri cut Tennessee's lead to four points. Brady Cook really didn't do much uh, with his legs after that at all. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I think when you look at Tennessee's defense, just it, it's kind of that continued trait uh, of the bimba don't break, but really certainly there in the second half, they, they, they found their groove a little bit more. I, I felt like you could tell they went into a stride, and maybe that's even when Tennessee just got back to playing Tennessee football, right? When you do have that big lead, I, I think that's when we've seen Tennessee be best. Now, that's it's obviously a pretty obvious statement, right? When Tennessee is winning, they're at their best. But at least just from a from a scheme perspective, knowing what Tennessee wants to do with the players that they have, it, it all opens up once Tennessee can build up that lead offensively and then kind of just pin the ears back and, and go after the quarterback and go get him and make their life uncomfortable. Uh, any other takeaways from the defensive side of the ball, though? The safety play uh, I thought was really, really bad. I mean, I kind of tweeted it out at halftime and joke. I said, what was worse in the first half, Tennessee's safety play or Eli Drinkwood's game management? Because <laughs> both were breathtakingly bad. And... and uh, Jalen McCullough just taking a horrible angle and, and running into Brandon Turnage on uh, the first of Missouri's long touchdowns on a fourth down play. And then another the long Brady Cook run on the quarterback draw that set up uh, Missouri getting a field goal right before halftime. I mean, Trayvon, he was never going to be yards there. And Trayvon Flowers stood there flat-footed, and, and Brady Cook ran right past him, looked like Michael Vick on the play. So uh, the safety play was, was really poor today, I thought, from Tennessee. And then uh, as usual, there I thought there were some good things along the defensive line, and I thought uh, specifically Tyler Barron played really well. I thought this was his his best game since Pittsburgh. Uh, he was really good in that pit game early in the season. Obviously, had the sack that knocked Keaton Slovis out of the game, but just made a lot of disruptive plays in that game. I thought he made a lot of disruptive plays in this game. I believe he did get a sack as well. With that is a, correct. A handful of tackles uh, and just penetration as a whole uh, around the line of scrimmage. Yeah, you are right. Tyler Barron grabs a sack, one of Tennessee's two sacks on the day. The other comes from freshman James Pierce Jr. So there you go. Those were the two guys who got the quarterback down. Otherwise, Tyler Barron ends at about the, the sixth leading tackler for Tennessee on the day today. Four total tackles, four of them solo. Uh, and again, as we said, one tackle or one sack as well. But fascinating enough, all four of those tackles that he did have were tackles for loss. So Ryan, I think to wow. that exact point, you know, he was playing in the backfield today, and when he got his arms around a guy in the backfield, he was able to get him down along with the rest of Tennessee's defensive line. So that is certainly a bright spot that I think if you're watching this Tennessee team, want to see continued success uh, and continued improvement, you're looking at a, guy, at a guy like Tyler Barron having a great game today uh, and hoping that carries forward. Let's jump over to the offense, though, because I think that was a there was a big surprise there at the beginning of the game. You know, this was senior day for Tennessee, so... Before the game, they're going through all the festivities. All the seniors are coming out. They're running through the tee. They get their certain pictures. But even before that were just traditional warm-ups. And I think whether you're watching the warm-ups or whether you're watching senior day, Tennessee wide receiver Cedric Tillman, who was very highly anticipated to see after, is only his, what is his second or third game back? His third game back. So his third game back in a row, certainly. People excited to see what he can do. Starts the game, though, in street clothes on the sideline. So that was kind of fascinating. But ultimately, after the game, Josh Heupel just said that, hey, that was really for precautionary. And frankly, Tennessee did not need Cedric Tillman in this game today, considering the Vols came away with 724 total yards offensively. 
which is a mind-boggling number. I mean, three-quarters of the way to, to 1,000 yards in a single game is insane. I, I think that Tennessee's offense was just rolling today, and you especially saw that in the second half when, like what we were saying a second ago, a lot of these things kind of come together. The, the Missouri offense really started to struggle. Tennessee's offense, though, came back. Man, they were able to put some yards on the ground. And they were, and I thought Dylan Sampson, who really hasn't had a very big role for much of the season, I mean, came in and didn't play any in the first half, came in the second half, and they very quickly got him involved. I believe yes, on, they did. Uh, I believe it was right after that, that drive we're talking about, where after Missouri made it a four-point game, the very first play that he came in, they threw a little swing pass to yep. him, uh, which became a Fordette Hyatt touchdown. And then the next drive, I mean, he really got Tennessee down the field. I think he had uh, was a 42-yard run and then maybe a 15-yard run in, into the 10-yard line uh, there. And he ends up uh, looking at the final numbers here, 98 yards and a touchdown on just eight carries. Um, so... I think it was a big day for him. I thought Jalen Wright ran the ball well. I thought Hannon Hooker uh, ran the ball really well as, as well. I don't know how many times he got sacked today. It felt like a handful, but he still had 50 yards on, on eight carries. Uh, three sacks is what, what Rick's giving me the hand signal for. So uh, really on five carries, he had over 50 yards. He had a beautiful speed option on a two-minute drill drive. Yeah. Fake the pitch and, and ran about, cut it all the way up across the field for about 30 yards, 30, 40 yards. And uh, had another nice uh, touchdown run inside the 20-yard line. Yeah, absolutely. Dylan Sampson was on fire today. Uh, and another place that I look at that was I felt like was really impressive were, were the wide receivers, mainly in particular Brew McCoy and Jalen Hyatt, both of them combining for uh, uh, over 250 yards. Brew McCoy taking up 111 yards and Jalen Hyatt grabbing 146. And a lot of those were from the big 68-yard touchdown that, again, nobody was even in the same zip code no. as Jalen Hyatt for that one. That was a really impressive play. That, that was talked about a, a pretty decent amount in the postgame afterwards in the press conferences. Heupel said, hey, we've had that in the back pocket for a little while now, but this was the time to use it, and I felt like uh, it, it was a phenomenal play. But, yeah, I mean, going back to what you said about Hendon Hooker, man, 355 yards through the air, three touchdowns, no interceptions, although there was one dropped interception that was there as well. But 185 rating. Man, this guy has been so important to this Tennessee football team this season. I think the fans really showed him uh, their value and their appreciation as it was his last game to play in Neyland Stadium. Yeah, uh, it, it was. And uh, it, it was an impressive showing, uh, I think, overall, uh, for sure. And um, I think especially uh, when you look at kind of the poise of it, because it felt like there was a lot of emphasis on Tennessee coming out and starting fast in this game after last week. And I don't want to say Tennessee started slow or even it was a bad start, because I don't think really think that was true either. But it just seemed like Tennessee wasn't, as polished as they could be early in the game. It's a great way to put it. And I think that goes with him, too. I mean, I, I, he missed – we didn't really miss a throw, but he had uh, – when Tennessee turned it over on downs kind of in Missouri territory, Jalen Hyatt was wide open and he didn't see him and ended up taking a sack. And I think he maybe skipped a throw in there, too, early in the game. So it didn't seem like he or the offense as a whole was polished early, but for him to – he got it quick, got it going pretty quickly, I felt like, after that. And a lot of Tennessee's mistakes offensively in the first half did not revolve around him. And then in the second half, everything kind of exploded. Yeah. Hey, how about Joe Milton coming in? Throwing those two or a couple of huge passes there in the fourth quarter. Some of them even I missed as I was traveling down from the press box to the field. Uh, But how about about some of the throws that he made towards the end of the game? Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, Man, that arm. It's, it's, you know, we've said it before. It's It's, it's just not hard to see how Tennessee's coaches fell in love with him and had him as the starter uh, entering last season. And uh, I think he hit... 
uh, what I believe it was Ramel Keaton uh, for the first one, you and you were yes. still walking down a, a kind of a, on a post route, kind of a similar play that he hit the Keaton in the Akron game or earlier this season. At least I believe it was Keaton. Maybe it was Walker Merrill, uh, one of the receivers. And then uh, uh, the second one, I mean, Deval Squirrel White. That was as beautiful as a throw as you'll ever see. I mean, it felt like it maybe even got high enough to be above the Neyland Stadium press box as he <laughs> stepped in the pocket. And, and it was also kind of, you saw Squirrel White speed on the play because it felt like when Milton uncorked it, uh, Squirrel had maybe like a step of separation and yeah. the ball was thrown so far in the air and so high and it took so long to get there that by the time he caught it, he had about five yards of separation and, and actually kind of, it was almost such a high throw, and he had to run so far to get it. It was kind of a hard catch to make sure he hauled it in, and he kind of fell down as he did and ended up falling at the one-yard line and not getting the touchdown on the play. Yeah, you know, thinking ahead to next year, and I know this is a uh, – there's a lot of hypotheticals. I'm kind of just deciding right here for this, but that could be a pretty uh, scary combination if you have a quarterback who, who really cannot underthrow somebody and you have a wide receiver who, who is – absolutely faster than everybody else on the field you say hey man combination you run as fast as you can down the field and i'm gonna throw it as far as i can and we're gonna hope and see if that works maybe uh maybe what happened in there in the fourth quarter on saturday is a little bit of an indication of things to come for tennessee fans at least that's that's the way i saw people were reacting on social media trying to have a little bit of fun with it no you're right uh that's a good that's a good way of looking at it i like i like that uh that thought process yeah I, unfortunately, I can't. Uh, I can't claim it myself, but I also can't give proper credit. So maybe I will. Someone's just, out there. Maybe I will just claim the <laughs> claim the whole idea for myself. <laughs> Man, Ryan, as we sit here right now, just looking over at Neyland Stadium, the final time of the 2022 season, there's a lot to think about that goes into it. Uh, but how about the senior class? Obviously, today was was senior day for Tennessee, and there are a lot of impactful seniors on this team, whether they've been here since the beginning, since the beginning of their college career, or whether they transferred in like a Hendon Hooker. Man, the senior class has been really impactful for Tennessee, and I feel like uh, the fans showed out for them today, uh, and senior day was a very successful event. Definitely, and you heard Josh Heifel uh, speak glowingly about a lot of guys uh, post-game. Latrell Bumpus, Toby Wilson, and then Hooker uh, are the ones that stand out, and especially Hooker. I thought he... So much of, and granted, so many of his questions about Hinton Hooker uh, asked towards Heupel aren't super broad. They're more specific. And I feel like a lot of Heupel's answers about Hinton are pretty stale at this point. You know, it's, it's kind of the same old thing we've heard all year. But I thought he kind of opened up a little bit more today and talked about what a cool story it is and talked about, man, no matter how the season ends up, he's going to be a legend here. And I think that's accurate uh, to deliver, to play, not even just to be a part of a team that won but to be play so well as he did uh, in the Florida game at the end of what was, I guess, was a five-game losing streak, but really more than that, Tennessee is what second win in 17 years uh, over the Gators uh, to end the Alabama losing streak by scoring 50 points and playing so well in that game. Uh, I mean, it it's it's truly special what Hinton Hooker's done here, and he'll be remembered for a really long time, and it was cool uh, getting to watch him lead the Pride of Southland band in Rocky Top uh, postgame. And then uh, there's a ton of guys that – we're here and stuck it out and have yeah. not a ton of superstars in that group. I guess Cedric Tillman probably would be one of the superstars in that group. But there's so many guys that have had an important role uh, the last two seasons and this season on the field, uh, but also I think off the field and kind yeah. of helping 
uh, Josh Heupel flip the culture and, and get this Tennessee program moving back in the right direction. Yeah, there's a lot of guys who, who, who kind of fit that bill for Tennessee. Is you're going to miss them next year if you are a Tennessee fan. However, at the same time, man, they've been so valuable to just what Tennessee has been able to put out on the field over the last couple of years. You look at everybody from Hendon Hooker to Cedric Tillman, Jerome Carve, and Darnell Wright. Then you go over to the defensive side of the ball, and you see both the Tennessee safeties. You see a guy like Byron Young. You see Jeremy Banks in the middle of the field. Ryan, just before the game started, I think I, I looked over at you and I said, man, it feels like just yesterday that Jeremy Banks was, was having a little bit of a running back controversy, right, because of the fumbles. And then you even go to special teams, and you see two guys like Chase McGrath who knocked through the yeah. game-winning field goal. You think about Paxton Brooks. Who, who maybe has had uh, the least production in his career this, this season for Another Tennessee. Another really just, good punt today, though, too. Yeah, but he had a phenomenal punt, and that's just because yeah. Tennessee isn't punting as much anymore. But you, you look just across the, across the roster, and you see really impactful seniors for Tennessee. No, you're right, and Jerry Banks is, was the mission in my, in my brain because he's, he's been one of, I, I think, the best players on Tennessee's defense and really has improved and give him a lot of credit. And I do got to say, I disagree with you. It, it feels like a lifetime ago when Jerry Banks was playing running back. It, just, it does not feel like yesterday to me. It feels like that could have been a decade ago when he was playing running back. Uh, so uh, you're right. It's been a crazy uh, career journey for him, and certainly uh, to get kicked off the team and get back on the team uh, really through a lot of good work and good service of his own uh, when Pruitt was, was still here as the coach was special. And for uh, him to have the impact he's had in the last two years, and especially the season he's had this year and, and to be a part of so much success for Tennessee. It's really cool, and it's uh, it's kind of, you know, in a lot of ways it's what college football is all about. I mean, you you hear it, you know, you kind of hear it, I think, at all maybe high school level too, but so many of these Tennessee players, Jaron Banks included, they're not going to play in, in the NFL. They might get they might get a glass or they might get a, a cup of, of water, a cup of coffee, whatever that phrase is supposed to be. I think a <laughs> cup of coffee is what the phrase is supposed to be in the NFL, but they're not going to have long 10-year careers. I mean, this is the last – major football they'll play and for Jeremy Banks uh, Jerome Carvin another guy kind of in that mold that comes to mind both to safeties Trayvon Flowers Jalen Cola though I believe McCola can come back uh, with the COVID eligibility next year and this is this is this football as good as it's going to get for them and to do it at uh, especially uh, in Banks's uh, case at his in-state school and see yeah. see that program uh, have more success than it's had I don't know since he was Two years old, three years old, it's got to be pretty cool for him. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to hit you with a, uh, a little bit of trivia here. When is the last undefeated home season for the Tennessee Volunteers? Do you know? Well, it's been a minute, uh, that's for sure. Um, let's think about this. I mean, Tennessee's lost a lot of games the last decade, so it's going to be none of that. <laughs> let's go back uh, 2006, 2007. 2007, they lost three games in the regular season. They lost at Cal. They lost to Florida and Alabama, so I guess it's 2007. You know what? You went through that very well. You got to the correct answer. That there is right. 2007 is Tennessee's last uh, um, undefeated home season. You're right. That's actually a fascinating season if you go back and look at it, considering two out of the first three games for Tennessee were losses. You, you, and that, pretty lopsided. I mean, at least not super close games. A, Season was not off to yeah, a good start. A 39-point loss to Florida in Gainesville and then a 14-point loss to Cal in Berkeley uh, with a Southern Miss beatdown sandwiched in the middle of there for for those 2007 volunteers but yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, this is this is a a tremendous goal and a, a tremendous accomplishment, I should say, uh, for this team considering it was probably one that not a lot of people were talking about heading into the at the beginning of the season. I I think Tennessee you know, Tennessee fans knew that the, the, the road slate was going to be very tough with Pittsburgh, LSU, and Georgia. Now to only think about, you know, coming away two out of three of those games, 
But to have the entire home slate being victorious for Tennessee, I think that's really impressive. And again, something that I certainly did not expect at the beginning of the season. Yeah, you're right. I didn't either. And especially, not that the home slate was extremely difficult, but you know, you win it in a year where you play Florida and Alabama at home. I mean, I think it's one thing to do in 2007 when Georgia was very good that year and South Carolina was pretty solid. But besides that, I don't think there were a lot of big home games on the schedule. And neither of those teams are Tennessee's biggest rivals and the South Carolina team, I think, was kind of like this year's Kentucky team. Well, it was kind of like this year's Kentucky team before this year's Kentucky team lost Vanderbilt today and barely got by <laughs> Missouri last week. Um, but it, certainly a, a big-time achievement, and the Vols will look to do it again next year. What They got uh, Texas A&M uh, from the yeah. West. They'll get Georgia at home, South Carolina. Uh, no real big out-of-conference games. They'll play Virginia and Nashville. So, uh, we'll see how long the Vols can keep uh, the home winning streak going. All right, Ryan, I only got one more thing from me myself, and then I'll turn it over to you for kind of uh, final takeaways here for the game. Want to point back to Jalen Hyatt, though. He, he, had, a, he had a massive uh, accomplishment today during the game with a reception of his in the second quarter, and so obviously this is true after the game. Tennessee wide receiver Jalen Hyatt officially passes 1,000 yards for the season. It is the 10th 1,000-yard receiving season in school history, and Hyatt becomes the ninth Tennessee player to do so. Here are the other players on that list. And the other one's obviously set in stone. Now, Jalen Hyatt is moving around a little bit as they still have two more games left of the regular season, and uh, I don't exactly know how these numbers all added up. i got to figure that out here in a minute. Uh, but here's the other guys that are on the list for Tennessee. Number one, Robert Meacham, Marcus Nash, Justin Hunter, Cedric Tillman, Joey Kent did it twice in 95 and 96, Dayrick Rogers from the 2011 team, Kelly Washington from the 2001 team, and then Lucas Taylor had 1,000 yards on the dot during that aforementioned uh, uh, 2007 season. So certainly Jalen Hyatt, uh, you know, entering – uh, entering territory with great company as a 1,000-yard receiver for Tennessee. And with two games left and knowing that Tennessee's potent offense, man, I, I would not be surprised if he he may even climb up to that number one spot, the most yards in a single season in Tennessee program history. Robert Meacham is sitting at the top with 1,298. And at halftime today, Jalen Hyatt was at 1,038 yards. So before Tennessee's big second half where they scored 38 points, and Jalen Hyatt was a was a little bit of that, including a touchdown, I believe. He was just about 250 yards behind Robert Meacham for that top spot. So, hey, if you're asking me, I think there's a pretty good chance that he could come close to it. Oh, I'd be shocked if he doesn't. And <laughs> you include uh, okay, maybe that's better. And you include at least one postseason game in there too. And uh, I mean, he had the 60 yard touchdown in the second half. So you. He's already at eleven hundred. So less than two hundred. Yeah, he's at least at eleven hundred. So I would be I would be surprised if he doesn't get it by the end of the regular season, and I would be shocked if he doesn't get it by the time uh, the season officially comes to a close. What did he have today? One forty six. One forty six. Yeah. Okay. So now Jalen Hyatt for the season has, according to my calculation, one thousand one hundred and sixteen, which would put him at third place okay. just from today's game. He he went from about eleven to three. Uh, with that big 146-yard performance today. So I believe, again, if my math is correct, actually, yes, he was sitting at number three behind Marcus Nash from 97 and Robert Meacham from 2006. He passes Justin Hunter, Cedric Tillman, Joey Kent, and Day Rick Rogers in the middle of that game, really in the second half of that game. Yeah, no, you're, you're, it, it, shows, it shows how ridiculous John Hyatt's season's been because Tennessee's had you know 10 different guys 11 times uh, that – 
a receiver's tallied a thousand yards, and by the end of the game, he tallied a thousand yards. He was all the way up to what was it you said? Three, Four, three, yeah, three on that list. So uh, it's it's been a crazy season for him. It's been a, a, certainly a very very successful season and. We'll see what he has the last two weeks in Columbia and Nashville. Yeah, and by the way, you can go and find those stats over at RockyTopInsider.com. We have them in an article listed over there. All right, Ryan, I'm going to throw this back over to you for just kind of final takeaways on the Missouri game today. Obviously, Tennessee gets a gigantic win by a score of 66-24. to I think if there were anyone that, you know, we talked about this week, and I don't think it's going to be the biggest deal, the style points down the stretch of the season, Tennessee got them. I mean, they made this game incredibly, incredibly lopsided, 66-24. to and uh, I thought more unpolished uh, than I expected in the first half, and that's something that will need to be improved on uh, coming down the stretch of the season that probably won't cost them in any of these final, I guess now at this point, final two games. And I guess my final thought uh, from the game is how, I mean, I, I just thought Eli Drink, which was terrible, how he coached that game, especially in the first half. There were so many fourth downs. And, and I know that watching Tennessee, we are very kind of pro- uh, going for fourth down, or at, at least, least that's what we've seen. Yes, yeah. or at least we're very used to seeing that Eli Drinkwitz did not want to go for nearly any kind of fourth down. I guess looking back at the final stats, um, what was I exited out already? But Tennessee or Missouri went for it twice on fourth down. They got it once and, and were stopped. And yeah, and trust me, they had more opportunities than two. Yeah, they had about I think three other fourth and ones uh, off the top of my head, and it just goes back to the uh, the mistake uh, that. Tennessee had Aaron Beasley lined up over to center, but to me that was the most glaring one. It's what I believe was 7 nothing at that point in the first quarter. You're 20-point underdogs on the road trying to pull off a signature upset, and you're kicking a field goal from the six-yard line on fourth and a foot. I mean, that's yeah. just... Uh, I think I tweeted out on the RTI account. I said, look, you are not going to stay competitive with Tennessee by shooting threes. No, you're, you're exactly right. Maybe on the basketball court. Maybe on the basketball not court. Not in the football field. Uh, but yeah, I, my brother texted me, and I, I tweeted it out. I thought it was a great line. So credit Grant Shumpert. But he said, uh, Eli Drinkwitz has, had more, has been more cowardly on 4th and 1 today than the, the French in 1940. <laughs> uh, and, and that was pretty accurate. I will give him credit. I like this play call. They, when they did go for it on 4th down twice, I like the play call. So they scored the long touchdown on the 1. Yeah. And I thought he drew up a really nice pitch play uh, when Tennessee was really suckering in for the quarterback sneak uh, on another one. The running yeah. back dropped the pitch, so yeah. they didn't get the first down, but there, were a lot, there was a lot of room to run there, so I guess if it's after I bash him, it, maybe it'll say something nice about Eli Drinkwood's uh, segment of the podcast. <laughs> he had good play calls when they did decide to go for it on fourth down. He was just a little a little cowardice and uh, not going for it, and a lot of options, opportunities where the analytics and just basic logic tell you if you want to win, you better be trying to get points, seven points here. You know, I, I, I don't know maybe enough of the, the true history, and I think this history kind of relates a lot to being a fan or at least being able to watch the program with your own eyes, but i got to imagine that Tennessee's home, uh, home slate in 2022 is up there with any year in Tennessee football history as the best home season that they've ever had. I, I think, obviously, from a win-loss perspective – it is it is hard to argue against, or at least hard to find a, something better than. But just the 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 way that this, I think, the way that this stadium, the way that this, this city, the way that this community fed off of yeah. Tennessee football throughout the fall was really something uh, to me that I thought was uh, remarkable. No, you're right, and I think you you know look at the easy one. We'll turn out and look at some '98 season. You have the the win over Florida that I think was in a lot of ways very similar to Tennessee's win over Alabama this year, and, and then. Uh, the stumbled and fumbled game uh, in early November against undefeated Arkansas. So that one, you know, has 
would seem to me uh, on the surface to be be better. It included a win over Alabama, though I, I couldn't tell you uh, anything that happened in that game. So uh, certainly a special one, and certainly a really special season for Tennessee. The Vols letters were back. Danny White did and his staff uh, with the newly renovated stadium and, and did a lot of kind of game, new stuff game day wise. Wow, I didn't uh, even think about that. Yeah, that, that I thought was really cool, and I think all that. All that stuff was great, and it was magnified by what matters most, and that's winning. Winning makes uh, coming to games enjoyable for fans, and Tennessee did it, what, I guess, seven seven times this year. Yep, yep, that's it, seven times this year, and that will uh, wrap it up for us here on the last time of the season. But we still have a couple more road games to get to, and then we have a lot more to get into after that when it comes to the postseason. So, hey, make sure you are sticking around with Rocky Top Insider throughout the rest of the football season. But don't forget that we will have you covered for the basketball season as well as that kind of goes on in the background. If you want to, which I I certainly think you should, go ahead and give Ryan a follow on Twitter. That would be at rshump00. You can go ahead and follow me on Twitter. That's at rick underscore butler. But make sure you're following along with the Rocky Top Insider social media on all the different platforms there are. Rocky Top Insider is on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. You can go and check us out over at rockytopinsider.com. That's where we're going to be giving you the best Tennessee news notes and coverage that we possibly can. But otherwise, Ryan, what do you say we go ahead and get out of here? We go ahead and wrap up this work and uh, put a bow on the Tennessee home slate for the 2022 season. Sounds great. All right, well, that's going to do it for us. For Ryan Shumpert, I'm Rick Butler. Hey, you've been listening to the Rocky Top Insider Instant Reaction Press Pass Podcast. We'll see you back for the next one here in the middle of the week. Thanks for listening.